Welcome to the Mindful Life Podcast. Join me, your host, Marianne Eve, mental health social worker and mindfulness educator, as I navigate living my best life with the intention to educate and raise the collective consciousness around the benefits of living a mindful life. Each week via the Mindful Life Podcast, I will bring to you a range of content, including special guests that explore mindfulness, mindset, and mental health. Are you feeling tired or are you under stress? Are you overloaded or just generally feeling overwhelmed? Well, I'm really excited to share a very special stress reduction tool that I've been using and recommending to my clients for a number of years. Calm is the number one app for meditation, relaxation and sleep. With over 21 million downloads and achieving the Apple App of the Year in 2017, Calm is so perfectly aligned with all that I do as a mental health professional and all that I teach here at the Mindful Life Podcast. It is the perfect stress relief strategy and the perfect mindfulness tool. The app has so many fantastic and easy to use features, including Daily Calm, a brand new 10 minute meditation every day, 100 plus guided meditations covering anxiety, focus, gratitude, and so much more. 80 plus sleep stories to settle the mind and relax the body. Exclusive music tracks for focus, relaxation, and sleep. Calm Masterclass featuring world-renowned mindfulness experts. My personal favorites include sleep stories, and I've recently discovered Calm Music, which I have on a continuous loop at my practice, in counseling sessions, and in classes. I also love the Calm Masterclass videos, which cover some fantastic topics, including gratitude, happiness, and mindful eating. And not to mention all the great features the app now offers for kids, including sleep stories, meditations, and lullabies. I'm so very excited to be partnering with Calm to bring you, my listeners, some amazing offers. Calm is so generously offering the Mindful Life podcast listeners a free four-week subscription to the Calm Premium app. All you need to do is head to the following link, calm.com forward slash calm health trial. That's calm.com forward slash calm health trial. And just follow the prompts to enjoy your free four-week trial of Calm Premium. You'll be feeling calm, relaxed and at peace in no time. The Mindful Life podcast acknowledges the Wurundjeri people who are the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast was recorded. We recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community and pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Please be advised that the subject and the content of today's podcast may be distressing for some listeners. There will be discussions along with personal accounts of the 2009 Black Saturday bushfires. Please exercise listener discretion. This episode is unsuitable for children. And if you feel that you may be upset or triggered by listening, you may want to consider whether this episode is suitable for you. A 
Australian mental health telephone numbers are also listed in the show notes if you do require some support or assistance. Hello and thanks for joining me for episode number 19 of the Mindful Life podcast. In today's episode, I talk with author and Kinglake local Melanie Harris-Brady about her book, 10 Years On, which explores her experiences of Black Saturday and beyond. Melanie tells a powerful story of strength and of resilience, and most notably of gratitude. 10 Years On is such a powerful account of adapting and of rolling with life and Mother Nature's punches. A few short days ahead of the 10-year Black Saturday anniversary, I was lucky enough to sit down and have a bit of a chat with Mel about her book. We laughed and we cried, and of course we shared and compared stories. And I learnt that love can indeed grow from loss and trauma, and new opportunities and beginnings can emerge. So welcome Mel to the Mindful Life podcast. Very excited to have you here today. Did you want to start by telling listeners a little bit about yourself and your connections to this beautiful community of King Lake? Thank you and thank you for having me, Marianne. So Melanie Harris, um, married Anthony, oh gosh, about a year ago. So now Melanie Harris Brady moved up to King Lake, oh my gosh, 13 years ago and went through that horrific day of Black Saturday, lost everything but thankfully the most important thing which was my daughter um who was off the mountain at the time and yeah and i've gone through a a lovely journey in the last 10 years and you've written a book i have written a book which i have read cover to cover compelling (laughs) read and lots that i could relate to i can imagine yes and that's um just gone to its second print run it has exciting yeah so what what was that like Mel writing your story Lady Gaga describes songwriting as going into the deepest pain in her life and opening up that pain and sharing that pain would you say telling your story was similar to that um yeah yeah I guess I guess it was I was it all came about it was never it was never intentional it was very accidental um it was early September I was on a work conference call it was about 10 o'clock at night and we were talking about fires that were happening or were about to happen in the U.S. and I thought to myself um the 10 year anniversary is coming And usually on anniversaries, I'm not a nice person. I tend to be very moody. Um, I tend to be, my anger grows throughout the day. And normally I'll make passata on the day. And last year, the tomato season didn't happen until later. And so there was no passata being made. And I was, I just didn't even want to be in my own skin. I was horrible. And I didn't want that to happen again. So I got off the conference call. I poured a glass of wine and I thought I'll write myself a blog I'm just going to get it out from my chest onto paper because I've never really talked about it in great depth Um, by 3 a.m. I had finished the bottle of wine and I'd written 8,000 words Mm. and I hadn't even touched the surface so is this September just gone just gone what yeah (laughs) yeah and I hadn't even it was just this stream of it was all it must have just been sitting on my chest mm. and it the words 
everything it was just automatic came out then we went to Anthony my husband um, he's got a beautiful beautiful 14 acres in Beechworth we went there for a weekend took my computer and spent the next three days finishing it and more bottles of wine um, so what happens to these people that take, you know, like five know, years, ten years to write a book? I know. It was all just, it was sitting, just sitting there, there waiting it was, to come out. It was, it was, it must have been. So you hadn't thought about writing a book never, before? Never. No way. No way. No, I wouldn't even talk about it, let alone write a book. Is it one of those things that if you, it's like you thought of it and then you did it, like you didn't go away and think about it some more and think about it some more, you no, just did it? I just did it. And it was all, and, and, and this I guess, for me, it was just getting everything that had happened out and it was, it was just, it, it, it just was like a flood. It just mm. flooded out of me and it was, incre- it was an incredible experience to do. Was um, it hard? It was very, very hard. There are certain parts of it that... I wouldn't have been true to myself or true to the reason why I was writing it or true to anyone if I didn't go to those deeper places. Mm. And because it was originally just going to be a blog, it was only ever for me. Ah. So I just kept sort of digging and remembering conversations that I'd had with Keely or, you know, having those thoughts of when I couldn't get out of bed some days or, you know, there's a part where I write that, you know, I'd drop Kelly off to school and I'd go home and I'd pretend to be asleep. Mm. I'd pretend to myself to be asleep. Mm. It's crazy, but that's how true I wanted to be to what I was writing. And then accidentally it became a book. At what point did it become a book? I reached out to Arnold Zabel, mm. who was an author in Kinglake. Sorry, he's not a Kinglake author, um, but he came up to Kinglake after the fires and he sat down with a group of us and he's the only, I guess probably the only person that I really connected to in terms of the community engagement that was happening up here. And he recorded our stories on a CD. And part of writing this was also about being grateful to the people in my life um, throughout that journey and the people who were there for me and supported me and people that I knew and didn't know. And so I reached out to Arnold Zabel and I sent him an email saying, look, I wanted to thank you for coming up here. I don't think I've ever done that, but, you know, you really helped. You know, my story was put on a CD and, um, you know, by the way, I've started writing a little bit and, you know, I'm finding it's it's quite good. And he kept, uh, he replied and said, oh, I'd love to see what you're writing. So I shot him through the first, you know, eight pages and he replied saying, wow, this is really good. It's like I've sat down with a person over a cup of tea and they're telling me a story. Mm. You need to keep going with this. Um, and I'd love to read some more. And so I sent him a little bit more and you know, his response was fantastic. And it was at that point that I thought, wow, maybe I could help somebody else here. Maybe I could share this with Keely. Maybe I can express my gratitude. There are so many components in if this was ever to be published mm. that maybe. Yeah. And that's that was all that's all sounding positive. Yeah. You know, using it to help oh, others. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you talk about trauma not defining you though. Mm. What does that mean? So I'm I was in a very fortunate situation that 
throughout my 20s and 30s, um, I guess, that I've been, always been surrounded by really supportive people and taught certain practices around you know mindfulness around a universe it's not out to get you it's not you know bad luck just doesn't happen that you know there's a there's a path for a greater good that you've just got to find it or dig deeper um and so as i was going through you know obviously the trauma and having lost my husband 18 months prior you sort of look for those silver linings and if you can do that then it helps you not be defined by that mm. trauma and it helps you seek and search for you know a greater reason or a greater purpose and you know I hate to use you know those cliches mm. that oh you know there's always a reason or things like that but if you look for a, a positive it's usually sometimes hopefully there um I get my situations not as bad as what some people had to go through up here and the loss that some people had to experience up here was I don't know how you recover from that um but in my situation I've been able to yeah to work move through on it from yeah. that to, to yeah. not allow you yeah. to define you and I think having a child helps with that doesn't it you know oh, you can't be stuck you can't in that point you in time can't. no so keely is now 16 so yeah. she would have been around six yeah. at the time of the yeah. fires um so she was off the mountain which was such a blessing oh completely but when you guys returned mm. uh keely wanted to stay and mm. she according to the book and i know this story because i know you mel Keely was, she dug her heels in. She was she very did. adamant that I'm staying. This is home. This is, this is where, you know, I've lived all my life, all, all her life. Um, so yeah, 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 since she was two. Yeah, two, so three, it would yeah, be yeah. all that she would she remember. remember. Exactly, exactly. But you, you not so much. You no. weren't so keen to stay. No. No. So, so why did you stay? Was it just because Keely wanted to stay? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which sounds it sounds terrible that you know I'd allow a child to dictate, you know. I don't think it sounds terrible. Yeah. I think it's we make sacrifices yeah. as parents, don't we, for, for the good of our children, for their well being. Yeah. And that's and that's essentially why I did it. Um, I wanted to leave the country. Um, I had friends overseas. That we'll go there. No. We'll go down next to my brother's, you know, down near the beach. No, she wouldn't do that. Okay, how about we move downtown? You know, still close here, but no. Um, and because she was so determined, and she had already lost her father, mm. so she'd lost her dad eighteen months before. Yeah. So Adam was your first husband. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So we lost him to cystic fibrosis, mm. and so she'd already been dealt that blow, and. You know, and our life together was was really nice. And, you know, while she was really sad about the loss of her father, she was young enough that, you know, she was able to, um, you know, still embrace the wonderful things mm-hmm. in life and not solely dwell on the loss of her father. Mm-hmm. And then losing all the memories of her father in terms of videos, mm-hmm. photos, all of that sort of stuff... Um, you know, his shoes were still at our front door. His clothes were still in our wardrobe. 
his shaver was still on the bathroom vanity. So then to lose all of that um, and to be dealt that loss and for her to be so stubborn and determined that she was not going to move, I wasn't going to test her resilience mm. because it was already being tested. And I thought if I now take her into a foreign environment, mm. as foreign as this environment was, it was nothing compared to how foreign a, a completely mm. different. Well, this was her yeah. community. So she Spot was. On. Had she started school? Yeah. So she, yeah. So she was going into grade one. Okay. So she started yeah. school. She had her yeah. friendships. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. She and you know and her best friend. You know they were inseparable. Um, still are inseparable. Um, <laughs> you know. So yeah, I wasn't going to test it. And so then. Keely designed the house. Keely designed this, <laughs> this house. beautiful house. Oh my then, gosh. To me, this is a doll's house. When yeah. I drive past, this yes. is this is my vision of what a doll's house would have looked like if I had designed a doll's house yes. when I was a child. But it's a beautiful home. Oh, thank and you. I love coming in here. Mm. Um, so tell us about that. Oh. Was that some sort of concession that was made or you being flexible or you just kind of going, yeah, whatever? Exactly. <laughs> I didn't care. I truly it was like, I was like a child. I was like, oh, well, you want to stay, you design the house. It was, you know, and this is what happens when you allow, you know, six, seven-year-old to choose the design of a house. It actually looks like a doll's house that I had built her before the fires. And I just didn't care. I, you know, you want a doll's house, sweetheart, we'll build your doll's house. But that was probably quite therapeutic for her. It was. Oh, she loved it. Yeah, or oh, still does love it. But yeah, she was very proud that I designed this house and I chose this house and I wanted a house with stairs, so I got a house with stairs. Yeah. She didn't get the pool she wanted, but <laughs> she, you know, she got the doll's house. So, yeah. So, you made a bit of a cocoon around your girl, your six-year-old girl, mm-hmm. after the fires. What was that about? So, I guess... We do that as mums. We want to wrap up our children in cotton wool and we want to protect them from, you know, the big bad world. And her world just got a lot badder. Mm. And I, yeah, I just, I didn't want to expose her to the trauma that was quite prevalent up here. Mm. Um you know, we had an opportunity to go to the temporary village that had been set up, but I was so aware that there were so many people there that were significantly traumatised, mm. understandably traumatised, who had gone through horrors unimaginable. Um, and, you know, that compounded with, you know, vices such as alcohol and things like that. You know, it just wasn't an environment that I felt... I could place her in so we found the probably the only rental you know available up here and we moved into you know into this house and I went back to work because I needed to create normality for her so mum goes to work and you go to school which is now going to be off the mountain because this you know her school had burnt down and this is what happens um and we just pretend that it's business as usual Mm. um and I didn't expose her to the community dinners and the wiggles coming here mm. and, you know, all the... All that stuff there. I remember. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, you would. Yeah. And the army and the... Mm. And yeah. look, 
in researching, you know, my Black Saturday podcast episodes, I come across this word or this term called collective trauma, where they talk about um, a traumatic event mm. that affects an entire community. So, you know, things like the Holocaust or September 11 or the Bali bombings or, of course, Black Saturday fires. So this collective trauma where we have our own traumatic memories, but then when we go into the community, we also take on the memories of others and their experiences. So whilst you're saying, you know, I, I, maybe I should have yeah. taken her to the community dinners or to see the Wiggles, you know, I did all that and part of me wonders whether I absorbed some of that collective trauma. I mean, you still would have as well to a degree, but not, not anywhere near as much as if I had of... Mm. And it's hard to know the right thing to do, isn't it? It's so hard to know. It's, it it is. Because Um, I guess sharing and supporting each other can help, but then it can also compound, you know, your own difficulties, can't it? Completely. And I think because you had such a, such degrees Mm. up here of trauma and you know, and it, I guess it too, it's not just isolated to the people that were up here. Mm. It's also the people that were on the other end of a phone call waiting to know whether their loved one had got out or not. Or, you know, the parents mm. of the mountain of adult children who were looking after their own children and are they okay while they're defending or fleeing or mm. there was the, tr- yeah. The trickle down. Oh, huge, huge. So do you think, you know, did the community get stronger or did that take a while or oh that's a really good question Mm. that's a really really good question um because I don't know I saw so many so many fractured parts of our community Mm. and you know I saw some of the most amazing stories of resilience Mm. and some amazing people who, oh my gosh, who are just incredible. Mm. And I saw some, you know, people crumble and fall and rightly so, understandably Mm. so. And it's taken a long time for some of those people to, and some people have still, still haven't recovered. Um, And I don't want to gender base it either, but I think a lot of women were able to, come together and talk Mm. and have shared you know experiences and shared conversations and you know hug each other and 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 all of that sort of stuff that us as women we're beautiful you know we all do Mm. and I know the men had the men's shed but men just and I am going to generalize because I I guess in my work that's what I see now I see that men push it down and push it down and that's what men have been taught to do in this society from a very young age um, particularly of our generation and then it comes out it explodes oh. it comes out in crises or you know they turn to substances so I think there was support up here but you know people have to be ready to reach out and to look in the mirror don't they they do because that's the thing there was the support up here mm. but you know, I mean, I remember her getting a knock on the door, honestly, by the Red Cross. Mm. Knock, knock, you know, hi, how are you going? We'd just like to know how you are and mm. if you're okay. Yep, I'm fine, but thank you very much. If you'd like a cup of tea, come in, but I really don't have much to say. Bye. You know, the support was here. But so, what more you... can they do? Yeah. What more? 
you know, I think I, I remember there were um, day trips and camps and that mm. sort of stuff, which I think was, you know, for men, which I think was good. Um, you, you can't force people to no, talk if they're not comfortable and sometimes yeah. it takes time. Yeah. And I, so I would agree, you know, that there was a lot of strength, but there were, you know, there was things like suicides oh, and shocking. people falling apart as well. Shocking. And maybe this is what happens, you know. Yeah. Some people do, well, we all cope in different ways and some people get through and some don't. That's, yeah, so sad. So without the fires, you may not have Anthony in your life in the same way that you do now. So do you want to tell the listeners about a little bit of history about you and Anthony? So on a brighter note. um, (laughs) So look, you know, I try, you know, as I said earlier, you know, you try to find the silver lining and, um, you know, my experience was quite traumatic and and getting out of here and thankfully Keely wasn't here and what have you. Um, But Anthony and I were really good mates. Um, And... I was actually looking to set him up with another friend oh. the night of the fires because we were going out to a band. I didn't write that in there. I didn't. I didn't write that in the book, right? Because I thought, oh. But there was a group of us going out, and I was thinking, yeah, one of my girlfriends, ah, oh, you know, she might like him and all this sort of stuff, right? So, yeah, after the fires, um, I was struggling. Um, I was struggling a lot, and you know, he was an amazing friend, and you know, Keely and he were great you know great friends and um he moved into the rental property to help me um and then after a period of time we formed a relationship and didn't know if it would last and oh, i probably shouldn't say this but i always referred to him as for now you know he was always <laughs> so bad isn't it i shouldn't say that but i have told him that since but you know he was always for now so you know when my girlfriends would be like yeah so what's going on with anthony oh he's for now you know, and that for now became, you know, long term. Yeah, for right now, yeah, for continuing yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then he moved into, you know, the doll's house when we built the doll's house. And, you know, I wasn't sort of getting any, any younger and we loved what we had mm. and thought maybe we should look at bringing another, you know, little being into the world and okay, that sounds like a great idea. And Keely, who I never dreamed would have another sibling. I mean, I never in a million years thought, I thought she'd be an only child. Like, you know, we were just going to travel the world. And, you know, while that sounds really good, it can, was also going to end up being a very lonely existence. Mm. Um, but, yeah, and then I fell pregnant and had Oscar. and And it was wonderful. And, but for, I mean, I... I know, again, I know I'm in a different situation to a lot of other people who went through something worse than I went through. But, you know, but for those fires, and there's no way Anthony mm. and I would be together. And there's you no wouldn't way. have Oscar. And we wouldn't have Oscar. There's no way. There's and you, no way. You're talking the book about um, him being your healing. Oh, completely. Yeah. Oh, goosebumps when I say Yeah, that. he was completely. So from the moment I knew that he was inside me and oh, without getting personal it would have been a week when I found out you know, the, the night that I found out we were having a dinner party and I'd ordered a case of champagne and it was going lovely and had this feeling and I'm like oh no I did the pregnancy test and pregnant and, um, but from that moment 
I just felt such a burst of life quite literally inside me and it was amazing that I was creating this life and you know and then when he was born it just the joy I honestly and I could cry I never I really never thought that I would experience Mm -hmm. that sense of being alive Mm. I I really didn't wasn't that ironic without me kind of spoiling the book you know you talk a lot in the book about you were sure you were dead oh yeah completely and you yeah. talked to me about that before yeah that, yeah, yeah and it, it it could be hard for maybe people on the outside to understand yeah. that because going through that situation you know we fled as well and when I got to yay I questioned if I was still alive too did that even happen yes yes but for you I think it was on a different level and it was really related to to you know PTSD you mm. you you constantly thought you were dead for a yes. period after the fires. Mm. So once mm. Oscar was born, you know, you're now describing feeling yeah, alive. Hey. So was there a shift? Yes, yes, absolutely. Mm. Um, he just, even feeding him, you know, breastfeeding him and, you know, giving him that nourishment and... I was still giving him life and so therefore I was alive it was the most amazing he was the and still is the most amazing healing source yeah so will he carry the legacy of Black Saturday he was born three years after the fires yeah he won't he actually he only really found out about Black Saturday and the events that unfolded after I'd written the book, um, and he's probably more fascinated that you can find Mum on Google. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he's probably a bit more excited about that than he is about. Yeah, although the all about. yeah, although you know what? Now I think there was a moment in Beechworth when I was writing it, and I started to read out parts of it, and he did come up to me, he cupped my face in his hands, and he did say how can you read this without crying you know and it was the cutest little moment um but i don't know how much he was Mm. taking in and you know i don't want to well one day he'll want to know about yeah and yeah he will and living here he will eventually be exposed to stuff whining yeah but in in time absolutely absolutely Mm. but yeah so he's you know keely yeah she's you know more affected but Oscar and I yeah so one of the greatest things about the book I think was that it was not just about Black Saturday yes you know you Mm. told your story Mm. but it was about the decade that followed yes and so it showed so many wonderful qualities within you and your recovery it showed resilience hope new love growing Mm. and it showed so much gratitude Mm. you talked a lot about your brothers Mm. and how protective your brothers are (laughs) and how they always had your back yeah Yeah. um and you talked about you know the support of Mm. other people in the community and the extended community as well Mm. um and i think that you showed that people can move forward after such a massive tragedy talk to me about the support you know what helped you so so i think um the support that we received was unprecedented. Mm. I don't think Australia had ever seen such a disaster of such mm. gravity. 
And it brought out what I believe is that inner part of a person Mm -hmm. to want to help. And you've got this whole collective, you know, nation that all of a sudden have tapped into that I want to help that you saw the very, very Mm. best of humanity just giving and, you know, and it was just so appreciated and it was enormous. Do you know how much they donated? No. I looked it up last night, $372 million. That is incredible. It set a record. That is just... So that's, col- oh I talked before about gosh. collective trauma, that's, that's collective consciousness. Isn't, isn't that amazing though? Isn't that, like now I've got those yeah. kids, I, I think that is so powerful mm. and, you know, and I really want to express to people that the difference that they can make mm. and, you know, I know that when we moved into that, you know, the rental property and it wasn't in the best condition. And I had a group of my family and friends come in and, you know, they were quite literally scrubbing floors and, you know, cleaning things and, you know, placing, they were unpacking all of the, you know, amazing donated goods and everything. Mm. And all I did is I just went, had to go into Ingrid's bungalow and I sat in, back in Ingrid's bungalow because that's where I was living at the time. And I just sat there and, you know, I was staring at a wall and thinking, oh my God, you know, I was almost in a comatose state Mm. because it was too much. I was so overwhelmed. But what they did is they carried this burden and this weight that I would have had. Mm. And when I was able to walk back into that house and see that it had been cleaned, it had been scrubbed and everything had been placed for me, even though I had no idea where (laughs) anything was, that act was so powerful and alleviated so much burden off me Mm. that to this day I still don't believe that I've ever I don't believe I ever could express my gratitude Mm. enough for for what was done you know for people who were packing up you know women's you know little private packs Mm. and things like that Everything was thought everything of, wasn't was, it? Everything was Little school bags little full school of bags. books and pencils. And you know, exactly. You know, these for the hand, right age groups. It was. <laughs> you know, these hand-stitched blankets and yeah. dunes. I mean, in the blink of an eye, Keely went from having, you know, nothing to having a bookshelf full of books and pens and pencils and clothes and toys and be- remember the beanie kids? You know, yes. like, so your beanie kids. And it was like... Children were giving away their toys. They were. And it was like, oh, see, I'm now I'm gonna just, you know, like, but you know, no, oh, people don't give, oh, to get gratitude back. Oh, I know. Oh, helping. Have you heard of helpers high? So when you help yeah. others, you get a high. Yeah. That's not why we help others. No, but but yeah. there is uh, value in helping. Oh, so people never, you know, and I think you talked a bit in the book about, you know, I don't think I ever thank this person. And yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, I think people knew that we were grateful and they didn't I'd expect like to think they so. didn't expect, you know, yeah. each to be personally thanked, but you know, I think it, it was amazing and every little oh, thing helped, didn't it? It really it truly, whether it was a tea bag, yeah. you know, to make someone a, a cup of tea that was coming over to your house or you know, it didn't matter it was it was incredible. It was well, for absolutely me, incredible. The army tent, the mess tent, oh, is what yes. got me through. We would go up there every day, and I don't know how long that mess tent was there, yeah. whether it was weeks or months, I don't know. 
But we would go up there every day at five o'clock. We'd take the kids and they'd run around like quite crazy with their friends. Oh, my God. And we would be given a healthy meal. Yeah. And it just meant I didn't have to cook. I yeah, didn't have to absolutely. think of anything. And I could, you know, chat with the other King Lakers. Absolutely. And that's something that oh, I was so grateful for. And I remember people saying on the outside, well, the army doing what are the army doing up there just everything if, if that was all, i mean i know they did a lot more <laughs> yeah, than that yeah, yeah. but if that was the only thing they did my god that helped so oh, many people so not have to think of what to cook yeah do you, but, but but because you've got to think about everything else yes and so the simple act of not mm. having to think about what to cook yeah. enables you to think about all the other things that you That's have right. to think of yeah it was incredible just it was absolute the support mm. it was amazing so cooking and preserve making—that's yes. that's a big theme it's in the huge. book, and even on the cover, on the cover of yes. the book, you've got pictures of yes. preserves. Yes. Tell me about that. That seems very therapeutic, yes. very mindful yes. kind of stuff. Yes. So yeah, it was very. It was. Well, was it deliberate or was it accidental? I don't know. Um, but that came about when we moved in, when we moved into that rental property, and it was. One of the most therapeutic things that I could have done, and Had I you still done it before? do it. A little bit, yeah. My grandmother was a big, you know. So my grandmother passed away the year before Adam passed away, and you had her for quite a while. Yeah, you? yeah. And she was a, a formidable, amazing, incredible, phenomenal woman, um, and you know, a very significant person in my life. Um, and I talk about her recipe mm. book. Yeah. And so she loved making jam and preserves and chutneys and all that sort of stuff. So for me, there was an element of feeling close to her mm. and feeling that maternal, you know, warmth and nurturing. And and I also found that it calmed my mind mm. indescribably. It stopped the chatter and the noise mm. and the questioning, am I alive? And, you know my brain reliving that day and you know all of that sort of stuff it actually helped stop it mm. um or settle it i should say and it was amazing and it's why i do it now it is incredible um and also because i don't eat any of it i was able to give it away yeah. which i still do <laughs> why don't you eat any of it i don't eat jam no don't you? No, oh. no there's only so much the kids I'll can eat i'll have to get you to make this I'll jam i'll give you some on the way out yeah i'll give you some on the way out yeah because i do you know when we had the um that extreme weather day up here not that long ago mm. so there was one on friday and there was one i think two weeks before that and i knew it was coming so I went down to Coldstream and picked up two nice big boxes of apricots and I was making apricot jam. And So there was your therapy. Yeah. So and what did that, or how did that help on that occasion? Stopped thoughts? Yeah, it stopped that panic rising mm. that, okay, it's going to be hot. It's the, you know, checking the fire out. Mm. It just, it, it just helps. So that's still there, Mel. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that. Yeah, you would. Mm. And it doesn't matter whether you're living in King Lake or off the mountain. Mm. I think it's one of those scars that we're always going to have. Mm. You know, and you don't want to have the fire up, but you have to have the fire up. And it's... Well, you've got to do what you've got to do. Yeah. You've, got to, you've got to put stuff in place and you've got to enact your fire plan and yeah. you've got to be safe. You can't live in denial living no, up here. No, But I like that you've got your... Um, 
therapeutic strategies. Yeah, so yeah. I'll just make some jam. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. And that'll stop the thoughts. That's right. That's right. The yeah. mind racing. Do you yeah. put some music on as well? I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to come and watch you that one day. <laughs> yeah. But they, the, it's funny. What's really funny is if, and it doesn't matter whether it's the fires or let's say I'm um, having, you know, some conflict at work or some work issues um, or, you know, as we all do at times, you know, family, friends, what have you. It's funny if you watch Anthony Killing Oscar walk in the door and if they see the jars <laughs> and if they see the boxes, they look at me like, okay, what's going on? Are you okay, mum? Yeah. Is, is everything okay? <laughs> Because it's this, they know now, they, when you see the, the preserves and you see the jars, okay, something's going on in mum's head. Um, do you go quiet? I do. Yep. Yeah, I go very, very internal. How long does it go on for? Usually a few hours yep. until the, you know, until the last jars lid screws on. And yeah. Great presents. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, I love getting personal presents like yeah. that, things people yeah. have made. Well, that's yeah. beautiful. That's a beautiful mindfulness activity. Yeah. So, hiking, you talked a bit about hiking. Mm. You said you hadn't been for a hike since the fires. Mm. Mm. Have you been for a hike now, more recently? I have. I did. I, I, oh, I, I should say I attempted. I was like the little red caboose. I think I can. I think I can. <laughs> you know, face is bright red and I'm trying to puff up the... Um, yeah. Didn't succeed, but I started. You gave it a go. I gave it a go. Yeah. Um, and I think... You know, and you would be able to relate to this incredibly well, the importance of exercise. Mm. And, you know, for me it was, you know, cooking preserves and things like that. But I think exercise and hiking and walking is so important for mm. mental health and obviously your health. Um, and certainly I need to get back into hiking. Well, I'll join you for a hike. Really? Yeah. Oh, that'd be awesome. Well, why did it take so long? What, why why um, were you holding back? Oh, the truth. I don't know, mm. but I suspect it's because I couldn't be bothered. <laughs> like, which, which sounds, you know, it, it sounds lazy, but I'll own that. I just, I couldn't get the motivation. You know, sometimes it's it was hard enough to get motivated mm. to work. Yes. You know, to have the motivation to then go on a hike. And then I think too, there was always the risk that if I take that hike, then my mind will start thinking. Mm. And if my mind starts thinking, then I don't want necessarily want that to happen. Mm. And I'm not near the oven, so I can't calm the mind by mm. cooking. So it was this whole... So maybe a hiking partner. Yeah, so a hiking partner would be great. <laughs> yeah. That was something I, I enjoyed doing after the fires, which surprised me, that I wanted to get out and oh. hike and look at the devastation, which is a bit, I don't know, maybe that's a bit strange, but I, it, it calmed me for some reason to get out and have a look and take it in. And Yeah, you guys were inspirational. Like, you guys went... Well, I think it was the exercise like that, whole, that helped. Oh, it was incredible watching, watching your journey and both you and Sean's journey, like it was just, in, it's been incredible to watch, you know? Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So where can people buy the book mounts? As we said, it's gone on to its second print run, so it's doing well. It is doing well. Yeah, it is doing well. Um, 
It you can uh, let me think. So you can purchase it from King Lake. Yep. Um, so locally, yeah. Yep. So locally, and from vividpublishing.com. I'll put that link in the show notes. Perfect. Um, that's ten years on, and I also have a Facebook page which is Melanie Harris Brady. Um, yeah. So Excellent. and there's a bit of feedback on there, which has been nice too. Oh. So I'll have to put some feedback yeah. too. Yeah. Well, it's a it's an easy read. Like I got through it in a couple of days but it's a compelling read if that mm. makes sense it's easy but it's compelling you, you just you don't want to put it down the um, the greatest gift that i've received from the actual read was when keely read it mm. and when keely read it um she was very emotional incredibly emotional but she gave me the greatest gift and that's when she like she hugged me and she said mum i had no idea <gasps> And I just thought I did my job then, hey. Mm. She did. She said, Mum, I had no idea. Maybe it was about timing. Maybe mm. you had to wait for her to be ready, for you mm. to be ready. You know, if you had to mm. release this a couple of years ago and she wasn't ready to hear it, mm. you weren't yeah. ready to share it. Yeah. <laughs> You're up on the bench, I can't argue. <laughs> Tears. Oh. Okay, so how does Melanie Harris Brady live a mindful life? Given that you know mindfulness encompasses a lot, encompasses a lot of things mm. like preserved baking, yes, yes, like yes. hiking, yes, yes, um, and you know things like gratitude and self compassion and lack of judgment and all that sort of stuff. Mm. How do you lead a mindful life? Um, now? So for me, it's about kindness. Um, I try, and it's you know something you have to practice. Um, but I, I make every attempt to be kind and to be kind to people. And to be kind to people, you know, I don't want to use the cliche when it comes to judgment, but to try and be kind to people without mm. that judgment. And, you know, I've been quite lucky that I've had that, you know, a beautiful tribe over the you know, course of quite a long time that... I've been able to leverage and who have been able to mentor me into living a life where you don't have that judgment um, or when it does surface, mm-hmm. because obviously it's always there um, when you're faced with certain situations, um, how to work through mm-hmm. that judgment and how to pull yourself in check, mm-hmm. you know, um, and switch to kindness. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so it, it takes work, doesn't it? I it think does. we have to constantly keep checking ourselves because yeah. we just naturally judge. We're human beings. You know, we're human beings and our society is based on judgment. And if you can then have compassion, yes. you know, how important is that? Compassion is huge mm. because it's compassion that allows you to be kind and, you know, be able to support people or help people. And I, I believe that everybody um, has, an, you know, has compassion within them and kindness within them. And I mean, you know, we spoke before about how unprecedented... The support was mm. up here that we got. That all came from compassion and kindness mm. and no judgment and and all of those things that there was no greater display of mindfulness, I believe, mm. than in that that period. Um, and and it, it all helped, didn't it? You know, it buoyed us. It lifted gee, us. it did. We would not be where we are To today. know that people were behind oh, us. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, to just to know that there are people out there that oh, I don't even know their names. Mm. But they were thinking of me and the trauma that I went through or my neighbours went through or 
the people down the road mm. went through and you know that sort of energy filters through mm. and you tap into that yeah. and it helps collective consciousness it is, hey. yes it is it is i love it <laughs> yeah well, thank you, my beautiful oh, friend, thank you. for coming to talk to me today and for sharing your story. Thank you. I'm so proud of you. And I'm proud to call you my friend and, and so proud of what you've built here and how you've moved forward. And now I'm going to get emotional. Yeah. Um, so yeah. thank you no, for thank sharing. You. If for any reason you have found the content of today's podcast triggering or distressing in any way, please consider accessing some professional support. Australian mental health telephone support numbers are listed in the show notes. You've been listening to the Mindful Life podcast with your host, Marianne Eve, mental health social worker and mindfulness educator. If you'd like further information or you'd like to connect, feel free to make contact via Facebook or Instagram under the handle Mindful Life Podcast or via email mindfullifepodcast at gmail.com.